What is up, Bruin Bible listeners? Will Decker, your main host here with the Madman in the cut. Big news out of Westwood today. Not only did we were right on an inkling of truth coming our way with Deshaun Foster, he actually becomes the head coach for UCLA after a wonderful uh, you know, team meeting that they had where the players celebrated passionately. Um you know, I think it's an interesting hire, and I think fans should come in with an open mind. There's a lot of thoughts I have on the hire. I'm very excited to get your thoughts. First and foremost, how are you doing uh, this week as we have come back from Vegas last week, a fun time covering the Super Bowl? Yeah, well, obviously it was such a treasure to, for all of us to be together, Super Bowl radio role, especially you and me, some really funny stories that we'll, we'll be able to share with our audience at some point and some stories we won't be able to share with our audience at any point. But always such a pleasure to be with you. And obviously the weekend with the Super Bowl and, and the gatherings and the parties, I, I want to offer my deepest condolences you know, to you, Thriller, for I know what a huge 49ers fan you are. And that was a very tough way to lose uh, the game. I mean, it was such a thrilling game. And longest uh, Super Bowl ever played in, in terms of only the second ever overtime. And it literally went to the final seconds of that first overtime session. Really could have been anybody's game at any point. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I know how much that game meant to you. So I'm, 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 my, my heart aches for you today uh, as it does for all the Niner fans. Yeah, it sucks, man. There's no two ways about it. It uh, absolutely blows. This is my third Super Bowl I've witnessed as a fan, third loss. So it's just, I feel like I'm in Buffalo Bills territory at this point <laughs> in time, which sucks. But, uh, man, it's, uh, it's a bright new day for UCLA. Uh, Deshaun Foster, we, uh, we were pretty bummed when he left to go to the Raiders as running backs coach. There's little, like, tidbits here and there. Like, he came back and threw out the first pitch at the UCLA softball game. He was in town. And when this coaching stuff is kind of stirring up, you're kind of paying attention to who's around, who's in town. Foster was on campus. And listen, like, I think for February hire, if you're able to structure the coordinators around him properly, I think this could be a really good hire long term. Um, you know, I'm a little worried he's never been an offensive coordinator at the very least. He's only been a running backs coach. I think that associate head coach title was very big for him to be considered. That shit put him under last season. But, you know, I think you want a guy that, you know, bleeds blue and gold. And, you know, unlike Chip, where it was very black or white on who enjoyed his tenure and who did not, uh, Deshaun Foster's like universally loved within the Bruins community. So a lot of positives there. Give me your take, man. What's your initial thought process with uh, D. Foster coming back and making Westwood his home as a coach? Yeah, well, well, you know, if you recall, we, we had an article on LAFB just 36 hours ago, and I sort of laid out some candidates, seven candidates in total. And I said, look, Martin can go in one of three directions. He can go with stability, he can go with splash, or he could go with specificity. And under the stability column, it ended up being Deshaun Foster was was one of the candidates there, along with Jerry Neuheisel, David Shaw, uh, and so forth. And so he chose that route. And so I always thought Deshaun Foster was a very credible candidate. 
you said it best, Will. I'm actually very excited about this because for all of the shortcomings in terms of inexperience, look, we've all been there as individuals where we're in a new environment, in a new job, in a new place, in a new circumstance, but that doesn't stop your ability to learn, to grow, and to be able to adapt to new situations. And the one thing that's undeniable, Will, is his record as a running backs coach, producing four consecutive NFL running backs from the likes of Kelly and Felton to Brown and Charbonnet. This has been a perennial top 10 rushing attack the last few seasons. You have a guy who was a decorated alum and can walk into any recruit's house and say, I know what it takes to get to the NFL. I played in a Super Bowl. I lost the Super Bowl to Tom Brady. Believe me, I know what it takes to be at the absolute highest level. And then you said it best, Will. He's young. He's hungry. This is going to be a destination job for Deshaun Foster. This is where he went to school. This is where he began his college career, uh, both as a player as well as a coach. He spent his entire coaching career outside of one year at Texas Tech and about 10 days with the Las Vegas Raiders with the, the blue and gold of UCLA. And he bleeds uh, the university. He bleeds the program. And he's going to give everything he can for it. And so... When you saw the players react the way they did and just completely, it was a mosh pit, it sort of reminded me, Will, in a lot of ways of about 10 years ago when the USC players so desperately wanted Ed Orgeron to be the coach when he was sort of the interim. USC ultimately went in a different direction with Steve Sarkeesian. But this is, this is that moment where UCLA got their coach, yo. And so I think this is something that is very significant moving forward. And for all the naysayers out there about this role, look, given the timing, given the circumstance of who else was out there, I don't think that Martin Jarman could have done better than Deshaun Foster in terms of fit. He's rewarding loyalty. He's, re he's rewarding family. He's <laughs> rewarding stability. And he's rewarding someone that wants to be here long term. And you can't argue with that. Yeah, and you know, I think there's something to be said about a guy that his dream destination is already the job he has, you know, and I think Chip for a large portion of his time in Westwood, yeah, he stayed out for the five years that he was here, but I think just him sniffing those NFL jobs and ultimately taking the Ohio State jobs, which is going to be like a launch pad for him to get back in the NFL in a year or two when he wants to be the offensive coordinator, it felt like he had, you know, was looking on the overside of the fence, you know, in a lot of different ways. Foster, this is, I could see him, if he's successful, taking, you know, keeping this job as long as he wants. You know, I think that's a very big positive there. We know his track record in the running backs room. He's been sensational. Josh Kelly was a walk-on at UC Davis, two-star recruit, came down to UCLA, turned him into an NFL back. Demetric Felt was a wide receiver. Like, really did not know, you know, the ins and outs of the running back position. Foster coaches him up. He's a fifth-round pick for the Cleveland Browns. Charbonnet, I know people say that he was a top-50 recruit, but his confidence was smashed. You know, he got benched by a pretty lousy Michigan team before they were able to turn it around. He was looking for new, you know, hope and coming back to the West Coast. You know, it, it seemed like Foster gave him that confidence immediately and Charbonnet went off to the races. And then Britton Brown, TJ Harden's there. And that's, a, that's the biggest thing, man. I think from an offensive standpoint, I don't see Garbers leaving. You've seen the, you know, you know support coming from this UCLA community on the higher and mostly from the players. It is like unanimous from the players it sounds like and you know when you're likely going to lose a year or two at the very best even if you did hire that tony white even if you did hire one of those guys you have the chance to be bull eligible immediately this year if everything goes well 
and maybe trend upwards for the next two to three to four years or however long it's going to be. So I think there's a lot of positives here given the timetable. I mean, would I have preferred Jed Fish? Yeah, of course. Would I have preferred Jonathan Smith? Yes. I mean, even Ryan Grubb and, you know, Sharon Moore were names that we've talked about in length. But it's February, man. This is like the end of free agency. You're like looking just to get that one extra guy that can help you get to the next level as opposed to the superstar talents. And I think Foster fits that, man. I think there's a lot of good stuff. Grade me from an A to an F what this hire would be for Deshaun Foster and UCLA Batman. Uh, Will, I think it's a B plus considering everything that you mentioned it, Will, so well. Obviously, it's it's B plus in its totality. And I would give it maybe even an A minus given the circumstance right now because I think both <coughs> you and I would agree if things were done differently, if there was clarity with Chip, and if the boosters and the AD and the chancellor and everybody was on the same page and everyone had their ducks in a row back in November, December, this could have been Jedfish. This could have been Jonathan Smith, but that was out of Jarman's control with this iteration of the hire. Now, with this iteration of the hire moving forward, I think he did as well as he possibly could. I know you and I had talked about, and you know how I felt in terms of potentially a David Shaw, potentially a Pete Carroll. It sounds like those guys, either Jarman wasn't willing to step too far over the line with a Pete Carroll or a DeAnton Lynn, and then it also felt like some guys who were former coaches really want to take a step back, Will, just given the changing landscape of college football. The fact that you have to basically be a full-time fundraiser on top of your day job and have to constantly be accruing NIL money on top of the season tickets, on top of the time investment, on top of the passion and the energy from the fans. A lot of these coaches are saying, look, we want to sit back and see if there's some regulation here. You're seeing regulation uh, from the Dartmouth standpoint of the unionization of players, of potentially players actually now getting paid directly from the athletic department of universities. That's something that could really drastically change college financing and college accounting within the next 12, 15, 18 months. And so I think a lot of the historical coaches, a lot of the veteran coaches said, look, if I've got the money and I've, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about where my career is and I don't have to come back and coach in terms of from a financial standpoint, I'm going to sit back and watch and see what happens this year or two and then jump back in at the appropriate time if things converge. And so I think Jarman was facing that. And then number two, Will, and I, I'm glad you brought up Tony White and Tommy Reese because everything that I'm seeing on Twitter right now in terms of the players, you talk about Ethan Garbers, you talk about former players, you talk about TJ Harden, you talk about Dayton Jones. I'm seeing all of it all around unanimous support for Deshaun Foster and I think that galvanizing element for this locker room and for this community is, I think, a huge breath of fresh air. Where I'm seeing the negativity, Will, is from fans and Twitter users that either don't play football or just fans. And the criticism is really puzzling to me. And, Will, I have a rhetorical question for you. When did Tony White become Vince Lombardi? <laughs> I mean, when you go back and look at the resume, and I'm not trying to take shots here at Tony White, but... Tony White's 44 years old. Deshaun Foster is 43 years old. Tony White has been a defensive coordinator for five years. Arizona State, Syracuse, Nebraska. Those teams were 26 and 35 in the five years that he was the defensive coordinator against very mediocre competition. He was in the Pac-12 in 2019 when the Pac-12 was very, very mediocre. 
In 2022, he was in the ACC with Syracuse when the ACC was very mediocre. And last year, he was with Nebraska in the Big Ten when the Big Ten was very mediocre. And I know that he gets a lot of credit for having Nebraska be the 11th-ranked defense. But, Will, that is such a top-heavy conference with the likes of Michigan and Ohio State are really the only two teams (laughs) that can score in that conference. They gave up 45 to Michigan. They didn't play Ohio State. It's very easy to stat pad defensively in a very weak conference. So I don't really understand how Tony White all of a sudden became Vince Lombardi going 46 and 35 as a defensive coordinator. And I also don't understand how Tommy Reese all of a sudden became Bill Walsh. I mean, when you look at his three years at Notre Dame as an offensive coordinator and his one year at Alabama as offensive coordinator, his first two years, Will, Brian Kelly was still there. And I think there was very much of an Eric Bieniemy situation where when Brian Kelly is there, even though you're the offensive coordinator, what are you really doing? His third year with Notre Dame is when Brian Kelly moved on. And oh, by the way, that Notre Dame team went nine and four. They lost to Marshall at home and they only scored 27 points against a USC team that had given up 46 to Tulane, 45 to UCLA, 48 to Utah. They only scored 27 in that game. And then he follows it up this year. Offensive coordinator for Alabama, obviously the GOAT and Nick Saban. But Alabama had their worst offense in a decade. So when did Tommy Reese become Bill Walsh? And when did Tony White become Vince Lombardi? I don't understand this at all. And and so the the fact that there was this perceived gap between Deshaun Foster and these other candidates was ludicrous. It was laughable. It was a pure comedy in terms of what I saw on Twitter. I think the only guy, Will, with all of the candidates that we had laid out, where if he had gotten the opportunity to get, probably was a better guy than Deshaun Foster, to me, was P.J. Fleck. I think if he had could yeah. have gotten P.J. Fleck, that would have given an A in terms of this situation here. But obviously, that bro- those talks broke down fairly early in this overall timeline to get Deshaun Foster at this stage, given the other candidates, given the timing, given the circumstance. For me, Will, it's an A-minus higher in this overall circumstance. And I think Deshaun is going to be young. He's going to be hungry. He's going to be motivated to really prove all the doubters wrong. It's going to come from his heart. It's going to come from his soul. The players are going to play so hard for him. And UCLA is finally going to start feeling like a football culture moving forward. And I've always said this, Will. I've always wanted the UCLA football coach to have a 15, 20-year run, kind of the way Donahue did. That's the way you do it at UCLA. You can't use UCLA as a stepping stone job to other places and, and ultimately get sustained success. You need to have somebody that thinks of this job as a calling, that this is their destination. This is what they were supposed to do. And I believe both Deshaun Foster and, and Jerry Neuheisel have that ethos in mind. And the fact that Deshaun Foster is here, I think, sets the stage very powerfully. A lot of criticism that Martin Jarman has gotten in the last few months, and rightfully so. But I think he thought out of the box here. It's a bold move. It's a courageous move. I think he needs to put the right coordinators now around Deshaun Foster, have some more outgoing personalities potentially around Deshaun Foster. But that's doable. And I think if you do that, you're setting yourself up for success. So this is a huge day for UCLA. And we should all be very excited moving forward. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm similar with you. I've got a B minus right now. I think the only thing holding me back from a B plus, A minus is the coordinator experience. I think it's going to be eerily similar to Deion Sanders in the early years where he's a figurehead. He's the motivator. He's going to get out on the recruiting trail. I think he's going to kill it 
as a recruiter, if I'm being honest, just knowing his passion for UCLA and the pro resume and all that jazz that comes with Deshaun Foster being your head coach. The coordinator hires are going to be huge. Very, very big. Um, I really like those. And just kind of pivot on your point on Jarman. I think the more we start to read the tea leaves, uh, Jarman has been under a lot of scrutiny with the fan base. I think, you know, just from my personal standpoint, I, I'm not saying he's perfect. I'm not saying he goes without blame. But when your biggest booster, Casey Wasserman, and the chancellor that hired you, that has the ultimate right of firing you as well, is against the hire, how much can you actually do? I mean, from what we've estimated, Madman, Wasserman is at least, at least, right, donating like 40 to 50% of the funds to the, like, that is the one guy outside of the chancellor that you cannot turn your back on in any shape, size, or form. So from what well, I heard, would argue, that's the one guy you can't turn your back on, period. You might be able yeah. to turn your back on the chancellor. You can't turn your back on Casey Wasserman. <laughs> exactly. And that's that's just a low number. We don't know the exact numbers that are coming in. It was largely rumored that he funded the entire Chip Kelly coaching, you know, hire with the millions that he put into the program. So, you know, it's I don't know how much you can dictate and go with if you're not if you're going against the biggest booster and the chancellor, you know, I mean, I just don't think there's a way to do that. And I think, no, and, and I think, Will, it's, it's such a great point because also fans have to sort of understand the constraints that is UCLA right now. And the cons- there are financial constraints. There are some cultural constraints. When you have not had success in 25 years in football, it is very hard to get new blood, new donors, new money to keep pumping into the program. We were even hearing things like, Oh, Dan Lanning and Deion Sanders and Nick Saban. I mean, it was, it, it was ridiculous. We have to sort of understand, A, where UCLA falls within the landscape of college football, and B, the circumstances right now that UCLA is in, given the fact that they just were not in a political position to be able to have another dead money coach buyout the way they did that led to the $51.7 million debt that led to this slog of a political battle and strife with the regions that had Gavin Newsom involved. And you get through all of that. You have to end up paying an undisclosed amount in calimony, but you finally make it to the other side, to the Big Ten, despite a historic divide. UCLA has never really gone against Cal on any major issue in the history of the UC system. They did here with the Big Ten and the, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to prematurely fire Chip and pay more buyout money? I mean, it's political suicide. Folks don't understand how this organization is constructed. The fact that Chip was able to walk away now because he saw the writing on the wall, because he said, look, I've made enough money. I'm 60 years old. I just want to get back to coaching. I had so much fun coaching in the bowl game. I'm sick of Jarman. I'm sick of you know, being the scapegoat. I'm sick of the flying airplanes. I'm, I'm sick of it all. I just want to go back and coaching ball. He, that now opened the door. UCLA now, instead of having to pay money in terms of a buyout, got 1.5 million back. And now we're in a position to hopefully use that money to build the coordinators around Deshaun Foster. And the other thing, Will, is I would imagine this contract is very financially friendly to UCLA because everything that we are talking about here, there are questions about Deshaun Foster. There's no question about it. No head coaching experience, no coordinator experience. So given that, given his relatively young age, look, you're probably getting a a pretty financially reasonable contract. You're probably looking at, (laughs) I would assume, is a two-year contract. 
with sort of an opportunity for extension after that, depending on how this goes. If things don't work out, I think you're, you're giving yourself financial flexibility to sort of get out of it and hit the refresh button. But if things do work out, you're setting yourself up for an entirety of success. And Will, for those, the last thing I'll say is for those who think Deshaun Foster was the fifth thought, their cho- fifth choice, sixth choice, seventh choice, thinking about all of these other so-called more accomplished coaches. Hey, 20 years ago, there was a sixth choice across town. The guy's name was Pete Carroll, and I think that worked out pretty well. So it's happened before uh, when the top one, two, three, four choices don't work out. It wasn't someone that low on my list, but I know it is for a number of folks. But overall, this is something that I think has the potential to have tremendous upside. Yeah, I agree with that. I think if this thing goes right, I think it'll go very well, like nine to 10 wins each and every year, maybe competing for that Big Ten title once every two to three years. Like we've kind of initiated like the programs we've got to model ourselves after. People are going to kill me for this, but this is just the reality of the situation, right? We're not the Ohio States. We're never going to be that. Like try to be like the Michigan States and Iowa's of this group or the Oklahoma State to Oklahoma where Every two to three years, they've got a shot at the conference. They're consistently a top 15 to top 20 team. Of course, I want more for UCLA. Like, I would want that with my heart of hearts for UCLA football moving forward. But I also want to be realistic with what's going on. You know, I think being realistic, continuing to develop players at a high level, nobody's put more NFL players into the league, um, you know, than UCLA. They're tied with Alabama at the top with 15 players on active rosters since the year 2019. So you have a lot of good things going on for you there. I think if you get the right coordinators, I really like what they're doing with Darren Usher as the GM of recruiting. I think he's been very sensational. You saw his tweet today where he was hyped up about the hire. I I just see it trending forward. Like the one thing that gave me a little pause today that really was a, you know, a blow was Ken Norton Jr. leaving. And I know he's a very specialized coach in the linebacking room, but I want to remind people like, This isn't just any linebackers coach. This is like arguably, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not doing that. You could pull the NFL team that just hired him today. He might be one of the two to three best linebackers coach in college and professional football as a whole. If you look at what he's done throughout his tenure, whether he developed Cleo Mack into NFL defensive player of the year, whether he developed Bobby Wagner on those early Seahawks teams into being a Hall of Fame player, whether he developed Clay Matthews, whether you know, uh, Ray Maluga, the, the list goes on and on for this guy. He is up there with some of the best that's ever done at the position. Unfortunately, he is leaving to the commanders today. We can only hope, you know, I think there was four indispensable coaches, in my opinion, that you've got to bring back under all circumstances. I think new Heisel's got to come back and he might be an early candidate for OC. If we're being completely honest with that, I think Cody Whitfield did a tremendous job. You don't just yes. let go of the PAC 12 defensive secondary coach of the year from last year. Malloy, I thought he did a tremendous job with the defensive line. You know, I'm cool with him continuing to be the defensive coordinator. You know, obviously we like Lynn back, but I don't think he's a bad option given the development he did with the Murphy twins, with Latu, with, you know, Jay Toya, things like this. I'm very high on Malloy and what he's going to bring to the table next year. And then the other was Ken Norton Jr. So you've already lost Norton. You got to keep those other three intact. Talk to me about Norton Jr. moving on to the NFL because it feels eerily similar it's what we were talking about with Deshaun Foster about a week ago when he left for the Raiders. Yeah, well, it's 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 a huge loss. There's no question about it. It's it's a crushing loss that they're going to have to find a way to overcome. And I don't think you do it with one person, even though he was a singular position coach. I think you have to hire a position coach 
at the linebacker spot to <coughs> work that position and develop that position. But then you're going to have to find inspiration from another coach. You're going to have to find wisdom from another coach. You're going to have to find energy from another coach. So you have to sort of replace Ken Norton Jr. by committee uh, because he was just so instrumental. And you can't help but wonder the timing of the situation, Will. There's, I think, a couple of scenarios that are out there that once the writing became pretty clear on the wall with Chip moving forward, was he sort of shopping the way Deshaun Foster was shopping for NFL jobs without knowing that Deshaun Foster now is, is the coach? And maybe does that, does that sway? I mean, look, Deshaun Foster was basically the Las Vegas Raiders coach for, what, eight Kingsbury. or nine days? Kingsbury, you know, right? I mean, it was unbelievable. There's nothing stopping Ken Norton Jr. from coming back. And so I, I, I promise you that I think if I'm Deshaun Foster, one of the first calls I'm making is to Ken Norton Jr. and saying, my man, how can we get you back? I mean, like, this is, this is sort of a new energy. It's fresh. It's, we've got stability, but we've got stability with youth now at leading the helm. It's kind of like, you know, you're sort of growing up in a household and, you know, your parents run the house. And now you're sort of at the age where it's still the same house, but now you're running the house, right? And so even though it's the same house, this is a completely different feeling and a culture and the day-to-day is going to be very different. And so if I'm Ken Norton Jr., I take that phone call and say, hey, maybe there is an opportunity here, but money's probably going to be a factor. I'm sure he's, he's gotten quite a bit from the commanders. And then there's also, I think, the element of Ken Norton Jr. has to kind of think about his style a little bit. I think Ken Norton Jr. responds, at least over the course of his career, to head coaches that are older than him. You know, the the likes of the Pete Carroll, the likes of the Chip Kelly. Is he going to be comfortable reporting to somebody younger than him? You know, so there's an element there in terms of personality that you have to take into consideration. But absolutely massive loss, Will. We wish uh, Coach Ken Norton Jr. all the best and all the success in the world. But again, and it's so funny, right? We were just talking about this a couple of days ago. Even when Deshaun Foster left, I said, Will, there's something that tells me this isn't goodbye. This is just see you later. He's going to come back in some capacity, uh, you know, down the line. This is sort of a see you later. I didn't think it was going to be this quickly, but he came right back. And I, I have some a similar feeling with Ken Norton Jr. It may not be five or six days from now, but I see an opportunity for Ken Norton Jr. to come back in the future. Wish him all the best. And whatever is best for him, uh, he needs to pursue moving forward, both financially from a personality fit standpoint, organizational fit standpoint, and so forth. But again, the Bruins are going to have to do this. If he does not come back, they're going to have to replace this by committee because he's the sum is so much greater. Uh, you know, the, the, the sum of the parts is so much greater than the whole when it comes to Ken Norton Jr. I've got a theory for you. I was mulling this over. Um, I love it when the thriller has has theories. The thriller theories, baby. The theory of thriller. I can't wait to hear this. We got a theory, man. So, uh, Deshaun Foster, head coach. Nothing has been solidified yet. You know, I was thinking of which offensive coordinators we could potentially get. You know, and I think what we've really done good is, you know, especially this offseason, we've tried to mirror what Dan Lanning is doing up in Oregon. We got Washington Jr., the defensive line coach, to come down from Oregon. We got Darren Usher. You know, so I was thinking, you know, maybe Will Stein, you can't get him, but maybe one of his top assistants, maybe Ryan Grubb, one of his top assistants. What about, because I'm pretty sure he's without a job right now, maybe Tommy Reese not for head coach, but what about that offensive coordinator position? What about Tony White for that defensive coordinator position? I mean, who's to say that you get these guys on the phone? Tony White would consider it, I'm sure, 
He's a former UCLA Bruin. He clearly is passionate about the program. I know some people are going to balk at this statement, but to me, if he wants to take that next step, doing it at his alma mater makes a lot of sense. And Reese, I mean, we've seen the ties, man. 15 years his dad was a part of this program in the Donahue eras, kind of prepping and being with Terry D. I mean, that kind of seems like a home run fit. He's without a job right now. Let me remind you that. Give me the odds, you know, 0-100, to 100, Tommy Reese and then Tony White, uh, maybe joining as coordinators, which is I don't think anyone's thought of yet. I just want to hear your opinion on that. No, it's a, it's a great thought, Will. And, and isn't this just the wildest world of college sports that we're living in right now where guys take jobs in the NFL, they come back to college in eight days. Guys who are scheduled to be, you know, running backs coaches and now head coaches. Guys who, you know, you're thinking are were the head coaching candidates come back somewhere else. I would be very open to Tommy Reese in kind of an offensive coordinator capacity. He's 31 years old. I don't think he was ready to be a head coach, Will, at 31. I think I there agree. was also some elements there. There was some whispers about, you know, is he mature? Is he kind of completely ready? One of the things that Jarman was really looking for was a kind of a CEO type because he understood, look, you have to spend a lot of time fundraising, and then you got to really trust your coordinators on the tactics, and then you've got to be that strategic integrator. That's what being a CEO is all about. And so I think Reese... Again, I, I just didn't think he was a viable head coaching candidate. He just sort of blew up uh, in the Twitter sphere over a couple of days. And sometimes that just has to do with the novelty of being a fresh name, you know. And, it, and when you start breaking down the resume here, it doesn't completely check out. I think Reese could be a really nice fit. You mentioned his dad was obviously, he's been a director or in some capacity of player personnel in the NFL for the last 30 years, since 94 uh, up to now. And then from 1979 to 1994, he was an assistant coach and head of recruiting, one of the head recruiters for Terry Donahue. So a lot of strong UCLA ties. I really like that. I'd love to kind of see the interplay there with Jerry Neuheisel and Tommy Reese, because I also think that maybe this is a moment here for Jerry Neuheisel to step into a bigger role. He he's He's earned his stripes. He's bought his time. He's another guy that the players love. He's the similar age as Tommy Reese. So, you know, why don't you sort of reward the loyalty the way you reward the loyalty with Deshaun Foster? But I, so my preference would be depending on where the skill set is, I think Tommy, if they can work well together, I really like Tommy Reese from an offensive coordinator position. And I think Tommy Reese, correct me if I'm wrong, Will, is he out of a job or is he with the Browns right now in a, in a, in kind of a special teams capacity? It, he, he may be with, with the Browns. But, no, I think you, know, you are right. He is actually with the Cleveland Browns. So my okay, apologies okay. on that. But, I mean, you know, you want more control. I don't know how much of a special team's role is no, going to you know, no. accelerate. And that's too in the NFL. It's so structured. There's so much instability. Here, you're young. The head coach is young. All these assistants now are bleeding UCLA. You've got the UCLA pipeline. It's an opportunity to kind of be part of something, right? Mm -hmm. and, and part of something on the ground floor. So I definitely see Tommy Reese. As, as a very viable candidate for OC, as, as someone who wants to kind of start fresh and do something really cool with those UCLA ties. I like Tony White a lot. I, I kind of like sticking with Malloy here. You know, I, I think, to be honest with you, Will, I need to see a little bit more from Tony White. This is, I, I have a little bit of a reservation with some of these Big Ten defensive coordinators. You know, some of these Big Ten defensive coordinators from Iowa and Wisconsin. I, I can't overstate just how offensively anemic the Big Ten was last year outside of Michigan and Ohio State. And so I don't think it's that hard 
to sort of put together a really credible defense in the Big Ten. And so he did it for one year. I would actually need to see a little bit more if I'm going to take the risk of disrupting kind of the continuity with Malloy. I would need to have a little bit more assurance of upside that this guy's really, truly kind of that next great defensive mind. I'm not saying he can't be. I'm not saying he won't be in the future. But if you just look at the body of evidence right now, Will, I don't see enough of a body of evidence there for me to say supersede a Malloy. So to your point, just on the spot here, my initial instinct is I would probably stick with Malloy, but I'd really consider Reese for that OC job. Yeah, I think that's a fair kind of, you know, place you arrived at, if you will. I think for me, if it, if Tony White was offered the job, similar salary, similar everything, that's his alma mater, right? If, if Deshaun really rolled out the red carpet from him and said, hey, you're not going to be a head coach this year, but hey, come on down to Westwood. Like, we love you here. We miss you. You're a Bruin of all Bruins. Like, come on down, see what we got. And I don't think it's insulting for him because he's only been a defensive coordinator for, you know, three to four years at this point in time. I think he can come in here for a year or two, really maximize his stock at his alma mater, and then take a head coaching job. I don't think he was totally the number one choice for me personally. I, I get the ties. I get that he's a hungry young coach out there. But I think there was, you know, some better options that I would have leaned towards in that front. Last guy I got for you, Mad Men. If I'm Deshaun Foster right now, this guy I definitely knows is out of a job. Eric Bieniemy for offensive coordinator. I mean, what's holding you back? This guy developed, you know, he was the running backs coach just like Deshaun was from 03 to 05. This guy, like we said, we've talked about it, Lakes. This guy has connections to the NFL that would blow recruits' minds. Like, oh, I'm with a quarterback right now. You want to FaceTime Patrick Mahomes, three-time Super Bowl champion, best in the game right now. That's who you model yourself after? He's a friend of mine, as well as Andy Reid. I know what they do to get to where they are. So come in and learn from me. I actually instilled half of the offense that he runs. Let's run it through you. Like, what kid wouldn't want to hurt? Hey, we're going we're gonna to play you like Patrick Mahomes does with the Chiefs. Like, that is, that is up there with the play you like Tom Brady, you know, Joe Montana, you name it. The enemy to me is an intriguing name. And if I was Foster, I'm not saying it can happen. I know he's an NFL guy. There's probably a scenario where he can find himself a new position on offense in the NFL. But if I'm Foster, I'm at least making the phone call, man. Like, like, let me see where you're at with this. Would you be willing to come on home? What do you think about the enemy for OC? Will, I actually love this one. This one, I liked Reese as a potential option in terms of kind of the hypothetical game. I really love this one. And here's why. Number one, you talked about it, obviously the Bruin ties. And I think UCLA starting to kind of get to that place where, Look, you want Bruins in these jobs, and, and especially when you're trying to build UCLA football back up again to the way it was in the, in the 80s and 90s and certainly in the, the 60s and 70s. You want folks that have sort of seen it do great things and, and really sort of have it be a calling. And so I think the enemy kind of having those ties as a graduate assistant and being having that connection uh, particularly in developing Maurice Jones-Drew, one of the great UCLA running backs of all time, I think is significant. Number two, Will, you you mentioned it. I think the NFL ties, the cachet. I mean, look, we we witnessed history yesterday in, in the sense that it was the birth of the next NFL dynasty. There's no question about that. This is now the Kansas City Chiefs era. The Kansas City Chiefs are sort of the team of the decade as it stands right now in the 2020s. It's Patrick Mahomes' league and and so on and so forth. 
how many guys will back in the 80s were able to sort of come off of that Bill Walsh coaching tree and, and become very, very successful coaches? How many guys will were able to come off of that Jimmy Johnson coaching tree in the 90s and become very successful? And then you sort of go to the 2000s and the 2010s and you follow those dynasties. And I think that the cachet that the enemy has to your point, Will, of being able to coach uh, Patrick Mahomes, but also be under the tutelage of Andy Reid, who is, I think, at, at this point, no question, the best coach in the NFL. I think all of that just makes recruits salivate. But number three, Will, he's also older than Deshaun. There's a little bit more experience. There's a little bit more wisdom there. And I think one of the things now, especially given the fact that Deshaun is in his 30s, especially given the fact that Deshaun hasn't been a coordinator, you probably want some more experienced folks around you. That's the one knock with Reese. Reese is even younger than Deshaun. You don't want to be kind of the eldest guy in the room when you're already so young, right? You you want to be sort of a, you're bringing the youth and the hustle and the vibrancy and the energy. (coughs) You want to have some wisdom in the room too to sort of balance it out. The enemy being older, I think is very significant. And then the last point, Will, I think they mesh very well personality-wise. Deshaun is someone who, very personable, very charming, but it takes a little bit of a while for him to sometimes open up. You know, he's just a very simple, solid guy that everybody loves. The enemy is big-time personality. He's loud. He's, he's gregarious. He's going to kind of get into these rooms and really sort of sell some things. So there's a really nice compliment in terms of age, in terms of personality, in terms of skill set. The enemy would be a phenomenal addition to the Deshaun Foster staff. Yeah, I just see a lot of parallels there. And the only thing that would freak me out about that is the longevity of that. Because if he has success early, like we know he can, he's probably off to his greener yep. pastures would be my thought process on that. But, I mean, if he's willing to take it for a year or two, why not? You know, Why not? Phone? You know, let's see what happens. It has been a whirlwind of a day. You know, Deshaun Foster named as soon as I woke up in the morning as the next head coach of UCLA football. It's a day we're going to remember. And I want to encourage the fan base to come in with an open mind. It may not be your first choice, but until he starts coaching games, we can't really have an opinion on what he's going to look like or if he's good or bad. So just be open-minded to it. It's going to take a lot of growing for this team. If you don't like him after a year or two, we can talk then. But please, by all means... Have an open mind for one of the finest alums in this you know, school's history on the football field in terms of Deshaun Foster. So that's my kind of speech at the end of this. And, and Will, the Foster. only thing I'll add here before we sign off, because you said it so well, is let's start emanating some positive vibes. You know, there's, let, let's start manifesting. This is a new era. I know Chip was an incredibly polarizing figure. You and I, Will, were sort of the last off the boat, uh, you know, the Chip <laughs> boat, if you will. But by the end of it, I think we could all agree it was pretty toxic. It was pretty polarizing. There was a lot of venom. There was a lot of sort of repressed anger. That's all gone away now. Let's clear the slate. Let's give Deshaun Foster all of our support, every opportunity to succeed. There's a lot of positives with Deshaun. And I don't want to say there's a lot of negatives, but there's gaps that that he's going to have to learn through. But I think this is an opportunity where if he can learn and become the coach that we think he's going to be, this is this could set up a 15, 20-year run the way Donahue had. Look, let's not forget, Donahue wasn't Donahue the first three, four, five years. He had to grow and learn into that job and then became the guy that 
had the greatest run in UCLA football history, this is going to be sort of a similar run at its best. And so let's support them. Let's really support this team, support these players, and let's start fresh here, both uh, at the Rose Bowl, on social media, interacting with each other in the community. This is a, a new page for UCLA football, and the sky is the limit here with guys that genuinely care about this university. The Deshaun's, the coaches, the, the, the alums. Will, you have such a passion for UCLA. I have such a passion for UCLA. Let's really channel that passion and harness it, manifest it in some real positivity moving forward. Yeah, and stay tuned. I mean, we're going to have the who's who of alumni coming back on. Wayne Cook's going to be joining us later in the week to break down his thoughts. It's just going to be a lot of off-season talk now, especially with this coaching tree kind of filling out, so stay tuned for that. Make sure to subscribe to the Bruin Bible. Check us out on YouTube at LAFB UCLA. Guys, have a good one. Deshaun Foster, head coach of UCLA, cannot believe it. Take it easy, guys. Fours up. Thompson Robinson even went down the sideline, and he's got Cash Allen on the top. Makes it down the sideline. You're listening to the Bruin Bible. This is your host, Will Decker, bringing you UCLA football content all throughout the year for LA Football Network.